Moving Iron Podcast is proud to be part of the Global Ag Network. The network is going live soon, so check out globalagnetwork.com for more details and updates. Now on to the show. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving iron. Good morning and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast Market Rundown with Angie Sensor. Angie. Looks like Brazil has gotten to be a bigger deal than what most people thought. Looks like there's some weather issues down there that's causing some uh, possible monster crop to be maybe not as monster as they thought. Yeah, yeah, that's the conversation. I mean, it's really picked up speed the last 10 days or so, which is, I mean, that tends to be what happens with a weather or a production issue in a country that's not ours. You know, here in the U.S., it's easy to say, okay, well, here are all these pictures, and here's where it's located, and traders have an understanding of what that means from a level of, a level of importance um, and are comfortable with what our soils are capable of, et cetera. But down in Brazil, it's, it's kind of one of those things where it always seems to start out slow, and then it reaches a fever pace, you know. And so that's what we've seen happen is it was kind of one of those conversations where it's like, been a little dry, been a little hot been a little dry, been a little hot, then all of a sudden it was like, oh my God, the world is ending, which it's it's not necessarily the case. At this point in time, it looks like, you know, we'll be most private analysts and folks that I trust that know what they're talking about when it comes to production down there are saying about 160 million metric ton uh, out of Brazil. Uh, that's down significantly from the 130 million metric ton conversations we were having here just a month ago. But it's still up. I mean, it's the, it would be the second largest crop on record. Um, but it definitely is is one of those things where um, it's a heck of a lot less bearish for the market structure than what it was three to four weeks ago. So maybe that doesn't mean necessarily. It, it, it kind of indicates that maybe the 950 price for Nov 19 is still a touch too high. But it definitely has kind of eliminated some of that idea that we should be seeing, you know, there was conversation about $5 cash beans before harvest this year. That's not not happening um, or in the five handle anyway. Um, you know, this idea of $7 futures, you know, that's that's not taking place either. Uh, but we've really just got to get into harvest and see what we're looking at uh, from a full-on production standpoint, you know, as a whole. Yep. Okay, so one of those... Other ish stories that we've been bouncing around here for the past couple months here that that seems to flare up and then completely vanishes off the face of the earth and then flares back up is the the Chinese Asian or uh, African swine flu uh, deal, and you know you you read some stuff every once in a while you get a little notice oh well, look we found some more over here yeah so the article that you put out the little newsletter you put out you you'd mentioned in there that there was a uh, a herd of 73,000 that they found it in and it sounds like that's going to be a bigger maybe maybe a bigger deal than what they thought even to this point yeah that was that was huge that was a, a, a really scary discovery for the country and for you know large-scale farmers everywhere because the idea has been okay ASF you know we know it's very very highly contagious but we also know that in China we tend to have these smaller farms that maybe don't follow uh, the rules, the traditional uh, larger scale production type rules, the biosecurity, uh, you know, 
platform. Like they just don't have that place. It's a farmer, he has 10, uh, 10 hogs, 50 hogs, 100 hogs, whatever. This uh, particular farm produces just over 300,000 hogs a year. 73,000 pigs were on site at the time of the discovery. And it really brings the whole entire thing into question as to whether or not this disease is being spread via food, uh, what kind of contact, you know, what took place or how did we, we see this happen? Did it come from, you know, a set of nursery pigs or, or something of that nature? And I'll be completely honest, I don't know enough about uh, the overall setup of this farm to, to really speak, you know, did it, do they bring hogs in, you know, at, at three months or, or of age or something like that, they come in from that realm, but it really does bring into this whole idea of, is it being traveled and transferred through feed? You know, how are we seeing this spread? And, you know, the fact that it hit this farm that is so large really shows you that, you know, these all of these types of, of biosecurity steps that you know many are taking maybe aren't doing all that we thought it would be so it just really showed this huge crack in the the facade of you know large-scale production is safe uh from things like this which has been kind of the the mindset that the chinese regulators had had for a long period of time is that well we just need to consolidate production the problem that we're having here is that we have too many small-scale producers that we can't keep track of so we really just have to kind of continue to consolidate this production, the slaughter, you know, all of these things, and that'll save us. Uh, the fact that that's not the case really was interesting. And then on top of that, we did see here last week that uh, the disease was found in a hog at an island off the Chinese coast. So it's creeping closer to Taiwan. Um, and the question, you know, was this dead hog that they discovered and it had ASF and the DNA. And so the question there is, is it in the water? Did this hog somehow end up and, and float that way? I mean, and the, the problem that we're having with China right now is that we heard about this disease hitting their huge, that hog farm operation at 73,000. We heard of confirmation of it being found off the coast on this island. And then this week has been radio silence, just complete shutdown, no new information really. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, what type of information is unveiled here because they're about three weeks away from their new year holiday which is a huge um, driver of demand when it comes to pork and things like that. So uh, a lot of really interesting moving parts going on there. And, and when we have marketing meetings, I always ask who's familiar with African swine fever? And usually I'll see one or two hands pop up. And my take on it is you need to get familiar with it. Like I hope it's not something that we're talking about in six months, but at the rate we're going, I mean, Russia and the Ukraine have been several years into this battle and are still struggling with trying to get it, you know, kind of pinned down. Yeah. So what is that doing to the market? Not a lot, honestly. I right. mean, it's, it's interesting to see because you are seeing feed demand back off in China. So there are moves that are being made in the Chinese market structure that you can see that would indicate that feed demand is, is much lower than... Um, you know, where it should be based on the hog population that they have, et cetera. And so part of that obviously is they did introduce measures to reduce the amount of protein that they were putting into their hog rations. Um, so obviously there's going to be a reduction that takes place simply because of that. But, um, you know, everyone is trying to get their finger on what exactly the herd size reduction looks like and what that means for future, you know, future uh, demand. And so, I think at this point in time, it's one of those stories that's just way too complicated for anyone to pin down what exactly it means. It could be one of those things that we're floating along, 
you know, completely naive, you know, we've heard about it, we've heard about it, we've heard about it, and all of a sudden it just blindsides the market. Uh, or, you know, maybe it just goes away, but it's really just one of those things right now that, that definitely needs to be monitored closely. All right, Angie, well, if folks want to reach out to you and, and pick your brain or, or ask you questions or whatever they might be able to do, how would they do that? Yep, you can find me on Twitter at Goddess of Great, or you can email me at asetzer at citizenselevator.com. All right, Angie, well, have a good rest. Have a good weekend. We'll talk to you uh, Friday next week. You too. Have a good one. All right, we'll see you. Thanks. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. Remember, if you want to continue any of these conversations, you can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. You can also send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast at movingironpodcast.com. You can also visit the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel. Here you can find Morning Market Roundup with Chip Nellinger and Angie Setzer. Also, Tax Moves with Glenn Birnbaum. Moving Iron Podcast is proud to be part of the Global Ag Network. The network is going live soon, so check out globalagnetwork.com for more details and updates. You'll be able to hear Dryline Farmer Podcast, Girls Talk Ag, the Top Soil Podcast, Ag News Daily, Working Cows, Heifer Please, Throwback Iron, and Ask Agnes. Please visit movingironllc.com. Here you can find information, details, and updates for the 2019 Moving Iron Summit in Nashville, Tennessee. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can leave a review and subscribe at your favorite podcasting platform. And you can find this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, and SoundCloud. So until next time, let's go move some iron. This is Casey Seymour. Out. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving